Welcome to the podcast of Koinonia Okotoks Youth. Thank you for joining us as we study the word. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Thank you guys for joining me this morning. So this morning, we're going to be studying the rest of 1 Kings chapter 11, so verses 26 through 43, and I have entitled the message, Solomon's Death. So while you guys turn there, let's do a quick review over what we learned last time, seeing as we uh, we weren't in uh, 1 Kings last week, so the last time we were in 1 Kings. So last time we were in 1 Kings, we saw Solomon's downfall. And in the first half of the chapter, start uh, we saw it starting with Solomon loving many foreign women. right? Solomon's love for God that was so evident at the beginning of his life, uh, when he was he asked for wisdom to lead God's people, was replaced for the love of the world and foreign women. Now, it wasn't just that his love was replaced, but it's also that he brought other gods, quote-unquote gods, into Israel and worshipped them. One of these gods was Molech, where you would you know, sacrifice a child to him. Now, because of all this, amongst everything else that he did, you know, with the the people in the land making them uh, slaves and all that stuff, like all the little things uh, along the course of his life, God brought judgment upon him. But this judgment wasn't brought to Solomon, but to his son only for the sake of David. Now, the nation, it was also to be split, and God raised up adversaries against Solomon. Now we ask the questions, do we love the world or do we love God, right? Where is our focus? And then are we repentant? Because David and Solomon were similar, but David was repentant and Solomon, there was no evidence. So are we repentant? This morning, we're going to be looking at the third adversary that God raised up, as well as the death of the wisest man who ever lived. So before we get into all that, let's pray and then we will get started. So Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for the ability we have to meet and study your word. Lord, I just pray that as we go through the rest of 1 Kings 11, that uh, you will give us uh, ears ready to hear what you have to speak to us, Lord. Help us to apply apply what we're learning, Lord, for, uh, for your kingdom. I pray this all in your name. Amen. Men. So, starting in verses 26 through 28 in 1 Kings chapter 11, it says, Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraimite from Zerah, whose mother's name was Zerah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages of the city of David his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing that this young man was industrious, made him an office made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. So in these first three verses here, really in the first verse, we are introduced to Jeroboam the third adversary of Solomon. Now quickly, before we go into Jeroboam a little more, I want you guys to look back at 1 Kings um, 11, verse 11, which says, Therefore the Lord said to Solomon, 
Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So notice that the first words to descri- used to describe Jeroboam were Solomon's servant, then Solomon's servant, right? This is very likely code that Jeroboam, he's the guy taking over the kingdom. He is going to be the king of the ten tribes. The second thing I want to point out about Jeroboam was that he was Solomon's servant, right? He was not a slave in Israel. He was an officer, a royal official. He was over the labor force, right? So, so far in this list of the three adversaries that we have that were raised up against Solomon, we have two who were, who were adversaries from without. Meaning they were not part of the enemy, they were not part of Israel, they were enemy nations. So two from without. And now we see that the third is from within, is from Israel. Two from without, one from within. Right? So as well as us being introduced to Jeroboam, we are kind of informed as to why he rebelled against Solomon. Now, if you actually read um, verses 27 and 28, you're probably confused. There's no actual clear reason. It just says that, you know, Solomon had built the Milo, repaired the city. Jeroboam was a mighty man. Solomon noticed it, and he, he promoted him. Those all sound like good things, doesn't it? Right? So where's the reason? There's no clear reason as to why he rebelled. Right? It This passage doesn't tell us the where, the when, the why. All we get is that he earned favor. All we get is that he was promoted and that he was in charge of a labor force over the tribe of Joseph, his own tribe, because he was an Ephraimite. So that's confusing, right? There's no clear reason. So, but before we move on, before we continue through, I want to briefly point out that he was in charge of the labor force. Now, you guys may be also confused that the labor force is back, right? This is the very same labor force that was used to build the temple, that was used to build the palace, right? This is the same labor force that we thought was disbanded. But apparently, based on this, It was used from time to time, which very likely could have been the reason why Jeroboam was rebelling, because he had to, he had to be oppressive against, uh, he he had to minister the oppression that, uh, to the people in place of Solomon, because he was over the labor force. So there might be a hint there as to why. He might have just been fed up with Solomon. Who knows? Right? We don't get a clear reason. But we, what we do know from all this is that he is an adversary, that he was raised up, and he rebelled against the king. Right? Just like the other ones, we don't need to know exactly why. We just need to know that they did it. Right? Moving on, looking at uh, verses 29 through 36 we see it says 
Now it happened at that time, when Jeroboam was out, uh, went out of Jerusalem, that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way, and he had clothed himself in, with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him, and tore it into twelve pieces. He, th- he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourself ten pieces, for thus says the Lord God, of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel. Because they have forsaken me, and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Chemoth, the god of Moabites, and Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes, and to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in the, in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself to put my name there. So, in these verses, we are introduced to a prophet whose name is Ahijah the Shilonite, and he gives a prophecy to Jeroboam. In this prophecy, we see that God is taking away the kingdom from Solomon from his from his heir Rehoboam. Now of course Rehoboam he still gets to keep one tribe which as I mentioned last time when we talked about Solomon's downfall that this would have been a combination of the tribe of Judah and the t- tribe of Benjamin. Basically here to sum up what happens with Ahijah um, is that Jeroboam and Ahijah he they meet in a field alone where Hijah, who is clothed in a new garment, took it off, tore it into twelve pieces. He then told Jeroboam to take ten pieces, saying that God will divide the kingdom and give Jeroboam ten tribes to rule over. He then goes on to explain that Solomon and his descendants will keep, uh, will keep one of the tribes for the sake of David and for the sake of Jerusalem. This punishment directly correlates with Solomon bringing false gods to Jerusalem, as well as the disregard to follow the command which Solomon was reminded of five times to keep God, the only God, central. Now, he ends this prophecy by stating that this will not happen until Solomon is dead, once again for the sake of David. Right? He will do so to Rehoboam. I love how one commentator put it. He said, Indeed, it was a shock for Rehoboam and the tribe of Judah to be reduced overnight from the most powerful tribe in an illustrious and world-renowned kingdom to a small state that was soon stripped of what wealth it had left. Now, I find it interesting that the, like, it would have been a shock. 100% agree it would have been a shock, but Judah was by no means a small tribe. It was the biggest 
tribe. And if you combine it with Benjamin, it took up half the kingdom of Israel. Still, that would have been a shock to Rehoboam, who's expecting to hit the entire kingdom just to be overnight reduced into a estate, just one tribe, and stripped of what wealth it had. So it still would have been a major shock to Rehoboam. Now, you guys have heard me say this over and over again when we were in Ecclesiastes, uh, foreshadowing this, and uh, even through First Kings, I've stated it stated that Rehoboam was stupid. He was an idiot, right? But really, in reality, he was paying for the sins of his father. Now, don't take that to mean that Rehoboam was by any means going to be a great king. That does not mean that. Rehoboam was not the smartest king. Solomon had set forth Proverbs for Rehoboam to listen to. And he had the wisest father. Like, realistically, like, not all the blame is on him. But there's a lot of, there is blame on him. He did ruin the kingdom as well. But not all the blame is on him. Guys, I want to focus on that. He's stupid, but not that stupid. Right? So, moving on from Rehoboam, what we see in this prophecy is two things. The first thing is that God was raising up the king of the soon-to-be-formed northern kingdom of Israel. Or you can literally just call it the kingdom of Israel. Because when it split, it went Israel and Judah. So, uh, soon-to-form kingdom of Israel. So, the second thing was that God is reinforcing the words he spoke to Solomon that he will tear the kingdom away and that he'll divide it, allowing his descendant Rehoboam to keep one tribe. So God's reinforcing that and he's raising up another to take over. The last thing I want to touch on here in these verses is that God says that my servant may, ha may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem. Now, this is a there's a there's major significance here because David, he had been called the lamp of Israel. You can look back at I believe it's 2nd Samuel chapter 2 verses 20 or no, chapter 21 verse 17 where his army had told him not to go into battle lest he quench the lamp of Israel. He was like he was the lamp of Israel, right? So God promised him that one would come from his line to sit on the throne and establish a kingdom forever, an eternal kingdom. Now, the fact that David may have, may have a lamp before God, it shows that his line isn't going to be extinguished. It's not going to be quenched, right? Like Saul's was. Saul, Saul's line was quenched. It was extinguished. But unlike Saul... David will have a lamp that remains lit. Right? So, we've already covered the fact that Solomon, he turned his back on God, right? Now, I just want to reinforce the idea that we need to be following after God. Right? We need, and we, we then see the very same commission from God to Jeroboam. Right? Looking at verses 37 through 40, it says, So I will take you. And you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be, if you heed all 
I command you, walk in my ways, and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you, and build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David, uh, the descendants of David because of this, not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, because, but Jeroboam rose and fled to Egypt to Shishak, king of Egypt, and it was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. So, if you guys are keeping track, which if you guys aren't, no worries, I am, this is the sixth time that either God encourages or somebody else reminds a king or leading figure, mainly Solomon so far, to keep God central. Right, So I will be keeping a running tally just so we can see how many times. We're in chapter 11 and this is the sixth time, so it might show up a lot more within this. Maybe phrased a little differently, but we'll see. Now, the first thing I want to touch on here uh, in verse 37 is that God tells Jeroboam, so I will take you. And you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. Now, this promise from God is remarkably similar to a promise made to David in 2 Samuel 3, 21, which says, Then Abner said to David, I will arise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king, and that, that they may make a covenant with you that you shall reign over all your heart desires. So David sent Abner away, and he went in peace. Now, I do want, to, do want to emphasize here that this is not a promise from God to David. right? But I do find it interesting that God promises Jeroboam something very similar as to what Abner promised to David. Now, if you look at the whole of David of what God promises to David, and then you look at the whole of what God promises to Jeroboam here, there's a couple differences, uh, and I want to point them out. The first one is this. David, he was promised 12 tribes. God had promised David the entire kingdom. Jeroboam, on the other hand, he was promised 10 tribes. Slightly different. And he didn't even get the biggest tribe of Judah. Uh... The second point is, whenever God talks about establishing David's kingdom, he used the word forever. Forever, however, <laughs> forever, however, <laughs> is not used for Jeroboam. So those are two, two, two differences that I want to point out. Right? This promise from God, it does come with the same set of rules that God had given to Solomon. Right? Follow after Saul it was given to Solomon, follow after me, keep my ways, my commandments, judgments, statutes, walk in my ways, right? And I will establish you forever. That's God's words to Solomon. Similar to Jeroboam, except for the fact that uh, he says, I will build for you an enduring house. So slightly different, but similar. It's basically can be boiled down to this. Follow God, and he will establish. It's as simple as that. Follow after God. Keep him central. Focus on 
God, because God is the one who does this, not man. Right? The last part of this promise or prophecy from God uh, that I want to we're going to be touching on here is this: that God will afflict the descendants of David because of Solomon, but not forever. Now, if you look at Revelation 5, 5, we see it says, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed, to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then looking further in Revelation at twenty two sixteen, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. You look at those verses, what do they have to do with this besides that David, that Jesus is the root of David? The, the point is this, the promise was not to afflict forever, right? I will afflict the descendants, but not forever. Now, what Jesus has done has, stopped, has made a way to stop the affliction. He made a way to enter into his kingdom, he gave us the plane ticket, the train ticket, whatever you want to call. It. He gave us the he gave us a ticket ready to be used. Like it's it's up to us, right? So he's made a made a way. And personally, I look forward to this peace that is going to come in eternity. So, yeah. So there's one more thing here. Apparently, one more thing that I want to talk about before we move on to the death of the wisest man who ever lived. To, uh, just to state quickly what we already know, Solomon had been told by God that the kingdom will be divided, right? And that his son, he shall have one tribe. Second, Jeroboam has received a prophecy stating he shall reign over the remaining 10 tribes. So knowing both of, them, both of those facts, we see that Solomon here, he tries to kill Jeroboam. Stupid, right? You can see the state of Solomon based on his actions. Solomon is not in a good place, right? And seeing as he's already been told by God that it will happen, yet now he is trying to stop it. Like the wisest man who ever lived here is making the stupidest decision ever. Right? Just a word to the wise. If God says something is going to happen, who are we to try and stop it? Right? We see support in scripture for this, right? Looking at Isaiah 14, 27, it says, For the Lord of hosts has purposed, and who will annul it? His hand is stretched out, and who will turn it back? Guys, if you look forward to Revelation, we see the enemies of the world coming against God, thinking they can win. They're not going to win, right? You think, you see the enemy, like Satan, he knows he's not going to win, but he's going to try and bring as many of us down with him as possible, right? You can't change what God has already stated is going to happen. And Solomon, being the smartest person, the wisest person who ever lived, is now the stupidest person who ever lived, trying to do that, right? He's just like us. Right, so this is Solomon's last-ditch effort to try and keep what was given to him by God, and though God has already taken it from him. So Solomon is not in a good state. 
Right? We already know that if since we've already gone through Ecclesiastes, the state of his heart and his mind at this point. It's not in a good place. So Jeroboam, he makes the wise decision to flee to Egypt, and that's where he stayed until Solomon died. And we won't see him for the rest of this chapter. So now moving on to the last uh, section, the last couple verses this morning, looking at the death of a king, the death of the wisest man who ever lived. Um, starting in verse 41, it says, Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? So it says here that the rest of what Solomon did and the rest of his wisdom, they were written in this book called the Acts of Solomon. Now, just to point this out, we no longer have this book. But while I was studying, I came across an interesting po point on this, right? Just think about it this way. What we have in the life of Solomon, it wasn't everything. There was more. Right? What we have was extraordinary examples of how wise he was. Right? Just looking at the fact that he would cut a baby or threaten to cut a baby in half to find who the true mother was. That's brilliant. It's weird, but brilliant. It worked. Right? But what we have shows how wise he is. And that includes the Song of Solomon, the Ecclesiastes, and Proverbs. Right? Even, the, even what we have about his life in First Chronicles and First Kings. Right? Knowing all of this, it's so interesting that there's more. Like, he could have been even wiser than we even know. Right? Looking at the examples that we have, he was pretty wise in his decision making. And he wrote, ruled an amazing, prosperous kingdom. And there was more. So I find that so interesting. But I want you guys to notice this. That, yes, Solomon was wise, yet he ended as a foolish man. He had wisdom, but he didn't wholly set his heart towards God. Right? There's one, there is a major lesson we can learn through this roughly six months of learning Solomon. He had all earthly wisdom. But at the end of the day, just to use a word from Ecclesiastes, it was vanity. It was meaningless. It was nothing. It was dust in the wind. We shouldn't be putting our hope in earthly wisdom, but instead in godly wisdom. Right? Think of earthly the difference between earthly and godly wisdom as like, you go to an amusement park, right? And there's that line, you have to be this tall to ride this ride. Well, wisdom can get you, earthly wisdom can get you there. Right? But there's more in God, right? Only in God, the Father, and in Christ Jesus can we find what true wisdom is. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, it says, uh, For I want you, want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea. For as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of God the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Remember, when we went through, I believe it was James, right? We we ask for wisdom, the one who has it all. We ask from him. When If, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God. He has it. Right? We can learn a lot from Solomon's wisdom, but you can't learn everything from Solomon's wisdom. There are some things that only God can teach you. Right? So, earthly wisdom can get you so far. Only get you so far. It can't get you all the way. Right? So, finally, looking here at the last two verses, it says, And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. Then Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David, his father. Uh, city of David, his father, and Rehoboam, his son, reigned over, uh, reigned in his place. So, Solomon's reign was 40 years. Now, if you look at it, depending on how you look at it, Solomon was roughly 18 to 20 years old. Uh, let's go with 20 years old when he took over from David. That means he died at the age of 60. That is a rather short life and a rather short rule. I mean, a decent rule, if you think about it, based on kings, like kingly rules were fairly short with wars and all that stuff. But to have 40 years of prosperity and die after 40 years of prosperity, interesting. Right? So rather short life. And this was primarily because of his disobedience. Now remember, God's promise to Solomon in 1 Kings 3.14 says, If you walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. Now that promise was if he walked in the ways, if he followed after God, then his, his, his days would be lengthened. Clearly, his days were not lengthened because he died at the age of 60. So, that's not lengthening. Right? Solomon, he was reminded five times throughout his life. And he did not take heed or listen to what God had said. Now, because of this, his life was not, not only his life was cut short, but the inheritance to his son was cut in half. Now he just gets two tribes, one merged into one tribe. That's his inheritance. And of course, he didn't spend his inheritance wisely. But we'll get into Rehoboam, I believe, next week. Right? Disobedience, just to point out, disobedience can have effects on our lives. We may not see it right away, but they're there. Right? Solomon, he started off well. Right? And he, he compromised on little things. And you may not have thought that this was going to have an effect on him. Gradually, these things had an effect on him until he was sacrificing to other gods in Jerusalem. Sacrificing babies. Right? You don't know where, you, where, where it can lead compromise, right? And disobedience, it has an effect that is not not visible right away all the time, right? So follow God. Listen to God. Keep your focus right. So in closing, 
I know it's a decently short message, I believe. It's, what, 30 30 minutes. Um, In closing this morning, Solomon turned his back on God. And there were consequences. And God was coming through with the consequences uh, of his actions. Right? The second thing was Jeroboam. He was promised all his heart desired. All of it. God said if he followed after him, he would establish him. Learn from the mistake of Solomon and follow after God. Right? Keep him central. And the third thing, Solomon had earthly wisdom. But it's not enough. In Christ, we have all wisdom and all knowledge. So put your trust in Christ. Right? Keep him central. So if there is, like with within this six months here, roughly, I know I keep saying that, within this, if there is one thing I can say we learned about Solomon from the entire time learning about Solomon, it's this. He lost focus. Or, you can say it this way, he never had the right focus. And thus, now he's dead. Right, so... Where's your focus? Keep God central. I can't say that enough. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this long study in the life of Solomon over the course of the past six months. Lord, I just thank you as we are now moving moving on to what you have next for us to learn. Lord, I just pray that as we go to it, we'll remember to keep you central, to keep you the focus of our lives. Don't lose focus. Don't change focus. Lord, we need you, especially in the day that we live in. Help us to follow after you in every way. Lord, this world is dark and it's getting darker and it's harder to follow you. Lord, help us to be the lights to help others follow you as well. Lord, I just pray this uh, over the youth. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or concerns, we would love to get your feedback. You can message us on our Instagram or our Facebook page.